Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit fightradio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Ren Hurst, and we will be talking about her new book, The Wisdom of Wildness, Healing the Trauma of Domestication and Looking Deeply into the Nature of Domestication and Humanity's Relationship to Other Animals, Ren Hurst Finds Our Own Domestication and our resultant disconnection from nature to be the root of trauma for much of the human experience, which we seem to perpetuate by domesticating others. Wren offers another pass. She reverse-engineered the conditioning process that leads to domestication and discovered a practical roadmap for deprogramming and undomesticating yourself in order to heal, restore connection, and reclaim the innate wisdom of wildness within. Wren is an author, mentor, tracker, and guide helping people address the trauma of domestication. After 20 years of being a professional horsewoman, Wren produced a body of work called Sanctuary 13, to help people restore connection to their most authentic, wild, human, animal nature. For more information, you can visit her website, which is rendermewild.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Ren to the show. Good day, Ren. Hi, Robert. Thanks so much for having me. It is my pleasure, and I'm looking forward to undomesticating (laughs) myself a bit by the the end of the show. (laughs) Well, I hope uh, I don't make you feel that much in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, it's, I, I just love the the idea um, and the idea behind your book and, and the idea of um, us being domesticated. We often think of our animal friends um, when it comes to domestication. But let's start with, first, can you share a little bit about your journey with the listeners. Sure. I mean, it's been a long journey in a relatively short amount of time, but in the past 20 years, um, I've evolved from a relatively successful um, professional horse trainer and farrier to leaving that entire world behind after discovering the work I now practice and offer, and I'm moving more and more towards a deeply creative life um, that is very unknown as I'm stepping into this next chapter. And so the first book I wrote, Riding on the Power of Others, was kind of the whole journey through horsemanship and how I had this experience of the what behind what I now offer. And so writing on the power of others and that book and that journey was the what of love. 
And the wisdom of wildness healing the trauma of domestication is the why and the how. And we'll see what happens next. But um, what more can I share about that? There's, it's, a, it's been a very deeply layered, complex journey. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. And, you know, that uh, little bit of unknown future is, I think, a lot of people <laughs> are experiencing that Yeah, right now. for sure. So, yeah, so so I'm sure that um, you're, you're just not alone in that. But, um, so now let, let's start with um, why did you feel the need for this particular book? Was it, was it to get to that um, why and, and how? No. Um, when I wrote the first book, you know, it, it served its purpose, and it, it did some wonderful things in the world. But – it wasn't enough. Like, so many people read that and thought it was about horses or the way we treat animals. And really, it was just alluding to the relationship between that relationship and our disconnection from a deeper understanding of love. And I knew, even when I wrote that book, that making this about horses it was not going to help people understand or have access to the deeper underlying thing that I was pointing towards that I had experienced. And so I knew I still had more work to do, too, than just horses. Because with horses, this work is relatively easy, comparatively speaking, because with the horses, they're in a captive boundary setting and you go out there and you practice the work and it's mind boggling and paradigm shifting and incredible. And it's pretty easy to lie to yourself about what you're experiencing and where you're at because it has, it's such a contained like situation. So I'm, I'm looking at what my horses have become in relationship to the work I was practicing and, and how it's helping me become a different version of myself. And then I'm looking at the dogs in my house and going, huh, there is something here that is so much more difficult to face with these dogs than the horses. And, you know, like I said, it, it's so big, it's hard to, like, get it all concise. But, like, for me as a professional horse trainer, you would think that getting off of their backs and no longer riding would be a big deal. But that just seemed really, like, obvious once I had discovered what I had discovered. But trying to practice this work in relationship to dogs who up until that point were, like, the only source of truly unconditional love that I had ever experienced – that was a lot harder, and so I knew I had to go there. Otherwise, I wouldn't be stepping into the full integrity of what this was, and I went there, and it completely shattered my reality again. Also, you know, really isolated me because uh, whereas quite a few people could get behind not exploiting horses, um, very mm -hmm. few people at the time understood the emotional exploitation of getting in an enmeshed codependent relationship with a permanently captive dependent in your care because most people think of their relationship to their dogs, cats, whatever, as love. And the abuse of power that takes place to even put them in that position is often completely overlooked and certainly not um, analyzed uh, widely. And very few people want to look at that because it's extremely painful. And if you do, don't have the emotional maturity 
to step into an accountability place without shame, this work is damn near impossible to do. Yeah, yeah. I can understand that. And, I mean, uh, two very different animals and very different types of relationships. And um, I would venture to say more people have interactions with their dogs than with horses. So, I mean, it's For sure. really For touching, sure. touching on all. <laughs> huge uh, demographic out there that, um, that kind of apply. Um, now, um, this particular book um, documents a journey, your journey with Denali, a dog named Denali. Tell us about mm-hmm. that, about Denali. Well, uh, first I'm, I'm happy to say Denali is still around. She's barely around. She's uh, probably coming up on 15 years old now, and she's an 80-pound husky. So, um, you know, she, she's still her wild, amazing self, but she is definitely coming to a close in her physical reality. And um, when she came into my life as a much younger dog, I had just walked away from training animals and horses as a professional and I was in this very liminal space of understanding where I was at with horses but having no idea what to even do with that information this was before I wrote the first book this um, Denali came into my life just a couple of years before writing on the power of others was written and so I was just barely dipping my toe in, okay, well, how does this apply outside of the realm of horses? And so I was in a really, like, really shitty place with how to do this with dogs. And it was this horrible experience of, like, knowing that I couldn't go back to what I knew, which was training, and having no idea how to apply what I had learned to this husky. So she was just running amok. I mean, she was she was killing animals and destroying my house and just oh, no. making my life miserable. And I'm just like, what have I done? And so <laughs> um, I wrote the first book. It got me in a much better place um, in terms of support and uh, having a place to live. And I was able to really do a deep dive with her and figure this all out. Well, it sounds like she was a handle. <laughs> um, so... Let's start with um, the idea of domestication. Tell us, you know, the, I guess the definition or what your domestication is. Sure. I think first I have to define trauma is how I understand it, which okay. is a, a prolonged interruption or an unresolved interruption in emotional development. So when I use the word trauma, I'm not speaking to something that has happened to us, but I'm speaking to any, many of the things, any one of the things that has interrupted our ability to stay fully in the body with any particular emotion. And domestication then, I'm, I'm defining as the intentional interruption in emotional development in order to control another's behavior. So if you really take that slow and break it down, it's not difficult to see how all of us are interrupted in our emotional processes at a very early age in order for whoever is in control of us at that time to have 
an easier time managing our behavior. We do this to our pets. Our parents do it to us. Their parents did it to them. And as far as I can tell, it's been going on for as long as we have any understanding of of humanity. Because, you know, if if the first domesticated animals were – well, if we domesticated dogs even 12, 14,000 years ago, you can't domesticate another outside of the lens of your own domestication because there would be no motivation to do so because the connection is so deep. There's no need for an abuse of power. So for all we know, there, we have no idea when the beginning of domestication began, but it's as simple as understanding. If I interrupt your your emotional sovereignty in order to – control you to make my life a little easier or to derive some benefit from you, then I have severed you from your own deepest connection to your own deepest internal guidance. And that's what most animals, human or non-human, are carrying around on a day-to-day basis is the severance of emotional guidance that is our primary source of infinite intelligence. Hmm. Um, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot with that. Um, so do, when it comes time, so basically it doesn't have to be in a uh, human animal kind of, uh, domestication we're talking about is, is it can be very much just uh human to human and, and, and absolutely. Okay. Okay. So now, um, what, let's see, I mean, the, the idea of domestication kind of separating that connection of the individual to their wild core um, is, um, I was going to say, is there a um, positive aspect? Is, I mean, obviously, individuals, whenever there's a relationship, a healthy relationship, individuals get um, kind of get what they need in a way. I mean, you know, when it comes to uh, a person's love of their dog, you know, and there's that unconditional loving, you know, back and forth um, kind of relationship. Um, is is that um, – I'm trying to think. I'm trying to get to the point, is there a – like a, a positive aspect of domestication. Depends on what your perspective is. So the okay. love that's coming from the guardian to the dog is not unconditional on any level unless you're practicing Sanctuary 13 because we we do control the dog in a very conditional way in order to manage their behavior and make them be how we want them to be and mm-hmm. perform and provide us entertainment and pleasure and all of those things. That's a very conditional relationship that is very destructive when you look at the power dynamic involved because the condition that stands out the most is the fact that you have placed this being in permanent state of captivity for your own benefit. So does the dog benefit? Well, sure, in terms of basic needs and survival, but you've also just completely removed their ability to be a sovereign creature. So that's no different than saying, well, is there benefit to keeping, you know, children and women captive for our own entertainment and pleasure? (laughs) I mean, like, sure, in terms of, like, if you're looking at those kinds of needs. But, like, we don't have a problem seeing where that's a problem with kids, right? (laughs) Right, right. 
So, I mean, it's, I mean, to me, it's, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic in, in the sense that, um, you know, you, you do have that control aspect, um, and, you know, of controlling behavior. Um, but then also there's the, um, how does one facilitate, um, a healthy, you know, connection to the you know, to, to maintaining the connection. So I, I guess maybe that might come, you know, I'm talking a little bit about um, the um, domestication, um, or, you know, uh, but what, what, do, what is the, um, when, when it comes time to um, domestication, what is the, um, the goal is obviously control, but is there um, a, a way that one can? I mean, I'm thinking like parents and child, you know, kind of example. You know, you want your child to to behave in you know in particular ways, like you know, I mean, being reasonable and that kind of thing. But then again, you also want to be able to um, facilitate, you know, their creativity, you know, their uniqueness, you know, and that kind of thing. So. Is there a, a balance, you know, kind of between, you know, kind of like heavy domestication or domestication light, I guess, for lack of a better um, kind of terminology? Well, you have to really, like, feel into what I'm saying about domestication. Domestication mm -hmm. does not actually serve anyone at the deepest levels. It is a choice made from a disconnected state. So if you want your captive dependent child or animal in your care to behave accordingly, you model emotional maturity and lead through an energetic example that feels safe enough to make them want to listen to you rather than interrupting mm -hmm. their own sovereignty to force controlled behavior because you're too immature to earn it. And that's what people do not want to look at. When a child or an animal isn't listening to you, it's because you're not trustworthy, energetic in that moment. And they know that in their body because they live in a more embodied state because they have less conditioning than the adult in the room. And the animals have way more embodiment because they don't have the stories playing out in their heads that keep them from it on a moment-to-moment, -moment, day day-to-day basis. But through this practice of maturing the, those gaps in emotional development, and becoming an energetically congruent and safe leader, you don't need to domesticate from that place because you are actually worthy of following. And it's very hard mm. to understand that when we've never experienced it. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I was trying to to arrive at. You know, is that um, endearing that um, desire to follow you know, rather than exert control. Um, now, part one in your book um, is called Seek Truth. Um, you talk about original sin. <laughs> so can you tell us what, what, what did you mean by that? I mean the original disconnection from source. And okay. the – the biggest obstacle I think people have to face and get over in order to engage with my work is this idea of right and wrong. It doesn't exist in the wilderness. Right and wrong, morals, good and bad, those are domesticated concepts made to control behavior. 
in the wilderness and amongst emotionally mature wild creatures, the connection is so deep to source that one would not be motivated to operate outside of a holistic system or outside of a holistic design. So therefore, you don't need to be told what to do or how to do it or what's good or what's bad. There are no systems of reward and punishment in order to control behavior. There is cause and effect. Mm. And once you can live in a place of cause and effect, which means being mature enough to be accountable without shame, because shame is just a story we create to make ourselves not good enough that then makes us spiral out of control emotionally, it is so much easier to understand that disconnect from all life when we are no longer experiencing ourselves as separate from it. So the original sin I'm speaking to is the, the second we decided to abuse power instead of maintain authentic power through connection is when we separated ourselves from, you know, soul, essentially. Some mm-hmm. people may call it God. I call it wilderness. I call it love, whatever. The word isn't nearly as important as the embodied experience of what I'm alluding to. Yeah. So when it comes time to, to you know, when you were talking about the wild and that there, you know, that there is no right, wrong, and it's just it's that cause and effect and the connection to source, um, what does instinct, you know, because it sounds to me like, you know, a lot of, like, we know when I went to National Geographic, you know, uh, I see all kinds of, you know, behaviors that seem to be instinctual. Um, is, how, is that a part of the picture? Well, I mean, that's a big question to unpack, but there's a few things there. For one, I would say anything yeah. we're observing is not wild enough to be as wild as I'm talking about. Um, because just we're not referring to biologically wild or a setting of wild. We're talking about emotional maturity. And humans have been disrupting the system long enough that there's very few truly wild animals or places left. Um, and if, we're, mm-hmm. if we have access to them and we're viewing them through our own domesticated lens, how much can we really understand about what it is that we're seeing? So mm-hmm. – a lot of it is irrelevant in terms of this is not an intellectualized concept, but more of a felt experience of connection. And we all know what that connection feels like when we are in an emotionally regulated state. But most people are highly dependent on external sources of emotional regulation to have these fleeting glimpses of connection. That's why people have pets. That's why people engage in romantic relationships the way that they do. That's why people do most of what they do is to have these fleeting glimpses of feeling okay in the world or feeling Mm. content in the world, whereas an emotionally mature being carries that with them 24-7 every day. Hmm. Interesting. You know, it's uh, when you're talking about emotional maturity and in the wild you know it just um me i mean it's a it's a it's just a very different concept i mean it's just a when i'm trying to visualize uh, or trying to understand but maybe that's the problem visualization isn't the, isn't the way to, to understand it as much as it is an emotional experience well um were you able to read the book 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I got through, I, in particular, I went through the, the Sanctuary 13, uh, you know, aspect because I really wanted to, you know, talk about that and understand that process. Um, but I, yeah. you know, there was, you know, and, and, you know, when, in the beginning of the book, when you talked about, um, you know, going from being a horsewoman to, to the northern part of California, when you were um, disconnected, you know, from the world, you know, in, in a way, you know, I mean, that that particular um, solitude, you know, to me that, it seems to me that that was um, like uh, the epitome of when it comes to connection versus, you know, disconnection. Well, it seems that way to a lot of people, but the only real value to that isolation was that I wasn't being influenced by outside governance or opinion. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. just because you remove yourself from society doesn't mean that you don't carry all of your trauma with you. And so that isolation was just a, a chance for me to create my own laboratory in trying to look at these things at a much deeper level without anyone telling me what is and isn't possible. Yeah. So when, okay, once we realize that our life is, you know, influenced, that, that we allow ourselves to be influenced by external sources um, in the sense of, you know, the, the whole idea of, you know, being domesticated in order to control, in order to um, control the use. Um, when we get to the point that we recognize that um, I am exhibiting behaviors and feeling things because of those external sources, is that where one would begin to um, change, you know, to undomesticate themselves. Is that where it starts? Is I think that will probably vary from person to person. Um, I think okay. for the people that find my work and for, like, myself, it was this constant ending up and bumping into the same pain over and over again and seeing the same patterns arrive over and over again and feeling at the mercy of circumstances and things happening that were causing what I then perceived as suffering and being willing to stop trying to manage and control that and learn how to be in relationship to it instead. And so, like, with the journey with the horses, it was, okay, what would it be like to relate to this horse without any unnecessary control? And so I removed all of the training. I removed all of the anything that wasn't just strictly about how can I get to know you and earn your trust without any manipulation whatsoever. And mm -hmm. so for me, it started as like an experiment of what's possible here. What's, I wasn't motivated by like trying to undomesticate myself. I was motivated by mm -hmm. I had seen something that I couldn't explain and I wanted to understand it more deeply. And so I started engaging in this very unknown territory. And the more I showed up in this particular way with these animals, the more was revealed to me. And I've just continued to go down that rabbit hole and have not stopped. Yes. And so when you started that process, 
what was the what kind of reactions did you get from the horses? I mean, I mean, you you changed your behavior, you changed your approach, and your perspective. So, what changes did were manifested in in the horses? Well, that's it. The context matters. So it depends on the horse. Okay. It depends on the situation. It depends on the trauma load okay. that animal was carrying. It, it depends on so many factors. But the main okay. thing was, is I was gaining cooperation without anything that made sense as to why. Like I was becoming somebody they wanted to follow, not because I was moving their feet or offering them a reward or giving them treats or petting them or, mm-hmm. or giving them praise. Not any of those reasons, but they wanted to follow me because I felt safe and present enough to earn their trust and respect at the most wholesome, loving level, which I had never experienced before because that's not what you do in those relationships, especially when training is involved. And suddenly I was forming this depth of connection with them that was so subtly communicated in energy rather than what you were doing on the surface. It was all a felt experience, the way that they communicate mm-hmm. to one another underneath the surface. And it was just, there was no way to unsee that. There was no way to unexperience that. There was no way to go back into, like, using one another and exploiting one another. Not that the animals mm-hmm. can exploit us, but there was no way I could right. go back into a reality of being in relationship with others in order to get perceived needs met suddenly relationship became a catalyst for growth and expansion instead of how do I use you to get what I think I need to feel better. Hmm. Okay. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Gosh, we're already halfway through the show, Red. Um, I want to take just a quick (laughs) break, and then when we come back, um, we mentioned um, the uh, sanctuary 13 uh, in the process you use it, and I want to go ahead and talk about that when we come back, okay? Okay, sounds good, Robert. Okay, great. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Ren Hurst, and we're talking about her new book, The Wisdom of Wildness, Healing the Trauma of Domestication. And again, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is rendermewild.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Ren. Thank you. Oh, great. Um, Okay, so uh, throughout the process that you have of the domestication, um, you have created a work, a body of work called Sanctuary 13. Um, Tell us about that and how that came about. So I had a few principles that I had learned from the School of Horsemanship I had gotten involved with many, many years ago um, that had led me to this, you know, just opening of opportunity with the horses. And I took those few things that had helped me undomesticate the horses, and that's what I applied to the dogs, and it worked the same way. But then I realized, like, how do I guide people into this experience? Because... It was something that was fairly natural and easy for me to surrender into um, just because of the circumstances of my life and a lot of other factors that I knew wouldn't be very relatable to other people. 
And so I sat in the field one day just watching the animals, and I'm like, okay, what what are the principles of this experience that I can turn into a practical body of work to share? And I started writing down the things that I knew were obstacles to staying present and being in a truly unconditionally loving relationship with another. And so I just started writing down the things that I knew consistently kept people blind to the actual experience of feeling the full extent of their emotion in relationship to someone else. And so that's what Sanctuary 13 is. It is a set of 13 practically applied principles that keep you radically honest about whether you are in a usury or exploitative relationship versus an unconditionally loving one and where the lines of personal responsibility are in those relationships regardless of the power dynamic, but it does take power dynamics into account, understanding, like, all the different relationships that we are in, whether that is with others or even situationally or just whatever we're relating to, including our own emotions at any given moment. And these principles are not dogma. They're not commandments by any means. They are a set of guidelines that keep you honest and present. Because, you know, there's plenty of teachers out there teaching presence and techniques and methodology. But the question I had was, well, why aren't we present? Like, why do we have to work to get there? And this work answers that question. It's because we're not emotionally mature enough to be the physical conduit for universal intelligence that we were designed to be, which is what it means to be animal, human, human or otherwise. Hmm. Yeah. I love the uh, practical aspect of it. And I want to mention a few. First of all, the first one of, of do no harm. I mean, it seems that, you know, that is it's kind of like right at square one. Don't create the trauma. <laughs> that, that's going to create the, um, you know, the separation from, from from source. You would think so, but if that were enough, then none of us would be doing it. And so I, the reason Sanctuary 13 is 13 principles, and it's a mutually inclusive body of work, okay? So you don't get the result unless all 13 principles are in effect. Because if we pick and choose which ones we want to play with, then we're not going to get the complexity of what's required mm-hmm. to step into a fully present state. So first, do no harm can be interpreted a million and one ways, just depending on how somebody sees that, and especially if they're coming from a perspective of right and wrong, because harm is interpreted very differently from somebody with moral obligation versus somebody who is coming from a place of deep connection and understanding. So. At the end of the day, it was taking a very honest look, and this started with animals, so let's just start there, Mm -hmm. and what we do that we know is harmful to the animal. So things like, you know, if you ride horses and you're not willing to look at the science of the physicality that goes with, you know, putting your body on an elongated spine – Let's at least be honest about putting a piece of metal in an animal's mouth in order to control them. There is no way to do that without the intention of harm, because the whole point of having that piece of metal in the animal's mouth is to harm them if they don't do what you ask. And very few people can look at that honestly, 
because shame and blah, 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 blah. Like I said, you cannot do this work unless you have the emotional maturity to look honestly at your actions. But so it was stuff like that, removing, starting where you're at with that understanding of harm and removing as much of that from the relationship as you possibly can and continually reevaluating and being really honest with yourself. But there's a deeper element to that first, you know, harm principle, which is can I be honest with myself enough to answer the question, is this action I'm taking born from fear or is it born from love? And do I know the difference? And do I know the difference between how those two things feel in my body? Mm-hmm. And those that would be fear-based would be those that would tend to be um harm-inducing or trauma-inducing or, or yes. in some way, in some way, um, yeah, kind of facilitate that separation um, from source. Um, so, you know, and when you, you know, when you put it like, you know, the idea of the horse and, and um, you know, and a bit, I mean, it's when we are, I mean, just if we just look at society, you know, and, and the way things are presented, you know, the, I mean, it seems like um, this pattern, um, this trauma-creating pattern is, um, it's, it's almost like it seeps into almost every part of our, um, of our existence. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, it would be hard to now to look at any kind of horse activity other than the horse running wild, you know, um, and, and be free or even following, you know, following one, you know, that, um, that is, that is, that is going to make, to me, it would make me wonder, like, you know, if I were to see that, or not if, when, when I see that again, you know, my first thought is going to be for the trauma that's, you know, being inflicted on the horse, um, you know, versus any other kind of thing that, you know, might be trying to be communicated, that's going to be, and maybe that's where my thoughts should be, you know, uh, in, in a way, you know, for that, you know, emotional maturity, you know, to be there, to, to recognize that. Um, so when someone gets to that point of awareness, like I, like, you know, we were talking about, does that then um, translate into um, to creating for, for others, you know, that same kind of awareness? Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, I, I'll, I know that I will be looking at things differently, you know, when it comes time. And this, again, this is just the horse example. But, but I mean, when it comes to any kind of domesticated animal, um, you know, that I'll be, my first thought is going to be toward the health of the animal versus anything else. Um, it, I mean, is that what kind of, what I guess a goal would be for, for us? No, definitely animal? not. Okay, okay. So, so what, what the goal here be? is to restore mm-hmm. your own connection to your... Okay sustainable, uninterrupted internal guidance system so that rather than live here 
for the sake of seeking comfort and security and safety, which is how domesticated beings operate. If I'm domesticated, mm-hmm. all I care about really is how, where is my next security? Where, where do I feel safe? Mm-hmm. Where do I feel happy? That's so not what we're here for. Like, that's so not what it is to be a human animal. That is not our potential. But you can't stay in the lane of your potential while being disconnected from your soul's guidance. So if you're domesticating an animal, it is indicative of your own domestication because there's genuinely no more motivation to put that bit in the horse's mouth or climb on their back when you have your own restored connection to soul because the the, the motivation to do that is no longer there because it's, right. it's meeting a, a need that is – already fulfilled when you have the emotional maturity to not need to abuse power in order to feel a certain way. And so that's the goal. It's how do we restore the human animal to the to the potentiality of design and be in that wild state? And what you mentioned about society, how it – I mean, yes, this work unravels the entire framework of our society because capitalism mm-hmm. and our society in general – is very much dependent upon being able to manipulate and control your emotions. If I can't control how you feel, how the hell am I going to sell you my product? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that, that, I mean, there that is an answer sense. to that. but <laughs> <laughs> And that is? Yeah, to make better products that aren't, that aren't exploitative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's a good one. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, and I think see, that's the – um I, I guess that that's I guess the spark that I was looking for in what one can do um you know to be more in alignment, you know, with with one's sense of of connection and not, you know, exploiting others, you know, and and not wanting now. One of the also one of the other um, items in the sanctuary thirteen was you know to expect nothing. And you know I think you know there's there's uh, managing expectations um, just plays so much into um, disappointment. Um, uh, you know, sadness, um, frustration, anger. I mean, to me, expectation, expectations lead to, um, I don't think they lead to disappointment, but, but in general, you know, that, you know, when we expect a particular result and it doesn't happen, then there's kind of a, a negative reaction to it. So the idea of expect nothing then would mean that you you don't have any conditions. Um, you don't have any um, any uh, um, say desired effort. The, 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 you don't have the challenge of um, trying to manage or control an outcome that you may or may not have control over. Yeah, and the degree to which we have attachment to outcomes or expectations is the degree to which we are trying 
to use the relationship or the or the person we're in relationship to to get a perceived need met. And that's not love. So, you know, love is unconditional, which is what Sanctuary 13 is alluding to and leading people towards. But relationships mm-hmm. between consenting sovereign adults are absolutely unearthed. They are conditional. They are based on condition. But the degree to which we have attachment to expectation, which is a emotional experience in that I have fear attached to this, you know, desire for a potential outcome because I don't know how to feel all of my feelings or meet my own needs. That's how we slip into exploitation in our relationship. Wow. Um, there is a lot to this. Uh, so It's now, extremely complex. <laughs> it is. You know, and, but, but I think, you know, the one thing that, I got from reading the book is a, a, just a different perspective. You know, I mean, I, I look at things um, differently in the sense of of control or lack of, you know, um, and then you know, with relationships that um, are um, you know are conditional, and and the, the different kinds of tactics used by some to try and control others, you know, and, and it just you know, when when I see it, then it's kind of like ah, red light gun goes off. You know that you mm-hmm. know, someone's trying to control something here that uh, you know is really none of their business <laughs> in the way of, of trying to control. Um, now, one one aspect of of the um, sanctuary thirteen two was the um, idea of your your boundaries or your responsibility, and I know that for some folks, the idea of setting boundaries or even managing boundaries can be a challenge. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about um, just the idea of the, of the importance um, of boundaries and, you know, how if someone has one that has been infringed on, for example, you know, what, what are ways that someone can um, effectively, you know, change or, or manage. And, and would um, changing boundaries also be an exhibit of control? I mean, is this is this control for the purpose of self, you know, self-connection um, versus, you know, control of someone else's behavior? Again, it depends on the perspective and the context with which we're speaking to. So the principle is your boundaries are your responsibility. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. through the domesticated lens, people seem to think that their boundaries are somebody else's responsibility to respect. So largely, Mm -hmm. when somebody is setting boundaries, they're placing an expectation on someone else to honor and respect them instead of doing what they need to do to take care of their own damn selves and get themselves out of situations that are not safe for them. And when you're in a codependent dynamic, which almost everyone is because we have a paradigm of codependency masquerading as love in our current, you know, situation on earth, um, mm-hmm. we've got people, you know, ex- expecting others to keep them safe because they don't know how to feel all of their emotions, which is the only safety that exists in this very temporary limited physical er, existence. There is no permanent 
safety in relationship, in, in a home, in any, in a job, in anything. We're not safe. We're all going to die. It's not going to, we're not in this like infinite physical experience. And people are so disconnected from the full spectrum of their emotion that most people are constantly seeking some sense of safety or emotional regulation because they don't know how to self-regulate. And then they perpetuate that into adulthood because when we're dependents in somebody else's care, our boundaries get violated all the time. That's the nature of domestication. That's how we get domesticated is our boundaries get violated in a dependent state and then leave that wound in the form of trauma that then we carry into adulthood and then still have expectations for the the world around us and the people around us to parent us in the way that we didn't get instead of taking full personal responsibility for the second you're no longer a dependent, the only person whose job it is to teach you how to feel all of your emotions and hold space for them is you. But it's very easy to take advantage of people's trauma and emotional immaturity through all sorts of healing modalities where I provide you this, like, fleeting sense of safety and take your money so that you can be therapized or whatever. And in in all honesty, all we're doing is teaching people how to manage the symptoms of their trauma rather than heal them. Because to heal trauma is to learn how to feel that gap in emotional interruption. Mm. Yeah, and one of the uh, the sanctuary 13 um, was feel it all. Um, so, it, you know, it seems that that is uh, the key to, um, I guess, being uh, brave you know, and courageous enough to... It to, takes enormous courage. Yeah, yeah. So And well, ultimately, we wouldn't need the other 12 principles if everybody could <laughs> just drop into that feeling state. But the thing is, is if you're first harming your own internal nervous system because you have a critic that's hard at work or you're self-condemning or saying things that are unkind to yourself or not being that parent you never had to yourself, then your nervous system will never relax enough in order for you to feel it all. So those first 12 principles are about removing the obstacles to simply being fully embodied present. Yeah. Wow. So now what if someone – is kind of leaves our conversation after our conversation and wants to um, begin the process, or you know, of, you know, doing um, you know the the um, de- decaying oneself. Um, where would one begin? How 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 does the process start for someone who's just wants to explore, you know? possibilities i would say read the book because it's all in there and that book is far more than i had to start with and that's you know that's why i wrote it is to make this information and this pathway available to those that want to do it and those that resonate with it this is not something that is being marketed to anyone it's an invitation if this resonates and you Mm -hmm. want to learn this and you want to have the experiences that I've had that have radically transformed my life in the most incredible of ways, um, then it's out there. And you can get that through the book, or I created a nonprofit called Wild Wisdom Incorporated that offers a weekly class online teaching the various principles of Sanctuary 13 and answering questions just to give people some practical support every Sunday. 
Um, you can access that through patreon.com slash wildwisdominc or by going to my website, remembermewild.com. And, but honestly, it really is as simple as showing up in relationship. I recommend starting with the animals in your care because they give you such an instant feedback system that is completely without judgment or ego. But the line between those who want to do this work and who can do this work is accountability. And it really is, it, it has to include checking shame at the door. Like, if, if you are stuck in a paradigm, paradigm of right, wrong thinking and feeling unworthy and shaming yourself, then you will not be able to have the accountability to have that nervous system regulate itself enough to be able to take in some of the information those animals are going to very clearly give you in that instant feedback. Mm. Yeah, that's shame is a, a very uh, complex kind of um, emotion, and you know we many times we're um, indoctrinated, um, you know, into experiencing shame, and and but but it is also one that I think by itself is um, it has all of the. the guideposts of, of creating, um, of wanting to not look at, you know, of, of trying to hide it, you know, trying to um, feel that it doesn't exist, um, and then, you know, actually going through and, you know, recognizing, you know, the, the source of it, um, and, and then um, and of so doing recognizing it without judgment. I mean, it seems like the, there's a self there's a self judgment aspect to it. That you know, if you're going to be going through this particular process, you want to eliminate that judgment aspect. Yeah, and you know, one of my wisest friends once shared this quip with me, and maybe she quoted it from someone else. But the path lies between self pity and self importance, and if you can't Stay somewhere in between that pendulum swing of, you know, self-absorption in the false egoic self. It's very hard mm-hmm. to step out of shame. Like there's, you know, there's poetry and story and so many anecdotes around in the wild, nothing feels sorry for itself because that is such mm-hmm. a domesticated emotion. Shame is a story. It is not an emotion. It is, the emotion that, that comes from shame is very difficult to stay present with because it's not natural to our design. And when we inundate ourselves with a story of I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough, our body is literally screaming back at us, that is not true. Stop believing that. <laughs> if you, and if you're not willing to be responsible for your beliefs, um, it's very difficult to learn how to stay fully in the body with everything because you're essentially attacking yourself. You're attacking your own system with your chosen attention of what you're choosing to believe. Yeah, well, well, I have to say, Ren, that this view of, you know, of trauma, you know, sources of trauma, um, healing trauma, um, through uh, domestication is 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 unique you know, for me. I mean, it, it was really a unique um, perspective 
Um, and I've, I've been doing this show for, you know, 12 years, and I've dealt with a lot. I mean, I've spoken with a lot of folks who sure. have dealt with trauma. And, um, you know, there have been many ways of, of trying to heal. You know, it seems that, uh, you know, the goal of, of this book is to create that healing, the individual healing, um, and, you know, to, to be able to um, have that source connection or that, you know, connection to the wild. Um, is, is, is that pretty much what the, your goal is for, for this particular book? Is what my goal? Is, is the having the individual um, heal, kind of heal trauma, heal um, their... No. My goal for this book, completely absent of expectation. I okay. wrote this as an offering to share what I had experienced. And honestly, I am ready to start a new chapter that does not involve me being anybody's, like, teacher. <laughs> like, I'm happy <laughs> to support people in the ways that I am asked to do so when it's appropriate. But if you read the last chapter in this book, this book was about me restoring my own connection. And since I've done that, there is so much coming through me that wants to be done in a radically different way than the life I've been living up until now in terms of creativity and where my deepest, most heartfelt yes lies. And it is not in being some, you know, expert on anything. I have no interest mm-hmm. in um, being seen that way or I, I, the last thing I would ever want anyone to do is give their power away to what they're hearing me say or even anything in this book. Sanctuary 13 is mm-hmm. really designed to guide you back into your own. And so my goal is it's already done. It's in the book. It's available. Yay. I hope it helps people. That's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and as far as what's next, you mentioned, you know, that you weren't sure necessarily what was up and coming, and you just kind of mentioned um, some possibilities. So what what is next in store? I am going to write some fiction. Um, I'm going to write some fiction. I've I've got a trilogy in my mind. I've never written fiction before. Um, I have this idea that landed while I was hiking a few months ago, and I'm very, like, it it really made me excited. And I'm also going to be leading some wilderness immersions, and um, ideally, if this book reaches, you know, enough people that want to support a pathway to learning this deeper, we would love to create a permanent sanctuary around this herd of horses that allows and offers people these immersive experiences, but um, I don't know. It feels all very secondary to just me being in deep relationship to my own soul's guidance on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. now and living in a more wildly unknown state day-to-day. Yeah. Well, you know, and and it's it's wonderful that you have that uh, fiction kind of a story. I had one that I've been working on for a while, and I've never done the fiction myself. But it's a it's a it's a whole different animal, so to speak. Um, but uh, but anyway, it's you know I really uh, you know, commend you for for your um, your honesty, you know, with self in, in recognizing what you know what you went through and, and different possibilities for other people to do to uh, to heal the trauma and you know, to be more connected. So. Um, now, if people want to get in touch with you, um, would that be through your website, rendermeanwild.com? 
or yeah, social a, media? That's an easy way. Um, I'm on Instagram. Okay. I'm easy to find. I don't have a whole lot out there because I'm really kind of figuring out what I'm doing now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, people can – it's easy enough to find me, and people are more than welcome to reach out. And I'm so happy and willing to support people in the ways that I can. And, you know, but as I said, there's real, there's no expectation around any of this. It's like I do not need people to agree with this. I don't need people to jump on board with this. Mm -hmm. It's really an offering. It's an offering of if this resonates, here's some useful tools that are unique in nature and have not been heard before. So feel free to try it. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Ren. I really appreciate your, your talking to us about about your book and, and just the whole journey and, and perspective. It's really um, refreshing. Well, thanks so much for having me, Robert. I really, it was a sincere pleasure to connect with you today. Thank you very much. And everyone, today my special guest has been Ren Hurst. We've been talking about her new book, The Wisdom of Wildness. Uh, healing the trauma of domestication. And again, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is rendermewild.com. So everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, Tune in, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.